Angels safely not in the outfield. Because there are no sports, what entertainment has filled the gap? Uh, tonight I decided that I'm going to start... Oh, I'm Katie Rich. Uh, I decided I'm going to try making brownies until I re- recreate the brownies from a deli that I like. Uh, I don't think that's a real answer, though. Uh, I don't think there's an answer. Nothing. Nothing can replace sports. <laughs> Fuck sports. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to say... The American Gladiators reruns I've been watching recently, which included an episode from like 1994 that had uh, John C. McGinley versus Dean Cain in a celebrity edition. Wait, was John C. McGinley an American president? No, he was in Platoon. That's how he got famous. And Uh, apparently that's how he qualified to fight a guy named Nitro in uh, The Assault or whatever. It's the event on American Gladiators. Where did you where do you watch these? I watch them on, and this is not a sponsorship, Pluto Television. (laughs) (laughs) Pluto TV has a 24-hour American Gladiators channel. We'll we'll, we'll get to Pluto TV in this episode. Sorry, this is the lightning round. Yep. I'm David the Seven, and Rookie of the Year is on Disney+. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich, and all my answers, I feel like, are going to be sports-related. I've been watching old Ranger games on MSG uh just from long enough ago that i don't remember exactly what happens but uh recent enough that it seems like it just just uh just a few years ago um and the last dance which we'll talk about in segment one and i've also been watching pluto tv as of today not a sponsor yet but we would happily have you aboard the show gentlemen you can't fight in here this is the war room fine i can hear you now dimitri clear and plain and coming through fine I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 301, and it's also Pandemic 11. I really wonder how long we're going to count these. No reason to stop now. Wait, this is Uh, Pandemic 11? And 300th episode was not a pandemic episode. No, that was Pandemic 10. Oh, that was the important thing is that we can't retract the pandemic. There is continuity. (laughs) (laughs) Even if our uh, quarter quells come at completely random intervals. That's correct. Uh, It's Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. That was the day that in 1609, Shakespeare's sonnets were first published in London, perhaps illicitly by publisher Thomas Thorpe. My goodness. Thomas Thorpe was a bad boy. (laughs) Sounds like a Shakespeare in Love prequel I want to watch. Uh, thank you. I, I feel like we should start by thanking anybody who called in to our 300th episode last week. That was wow. incredibly fun. Uh, I haven't listened to it. I hope it's good to listen to. It was really fun to participate in and like thrilling and exciting that there are real people out there. I think I'm not the only one who does this podcast by pretending that no one ever listens to it. And that's the only way you can kind of do it. Uh, I've really committed to that bit. But yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, at the risk of sounding like I'm sucking up to the listeners, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed that. And, uh, I miss them all, everyone who called in. And, uh, I really hope that we get to do it again. I thought our listeners were so interesting and so nice to talk to. And, uh, I loved how they were scattered about, uh, the country and all leading very different lives. And, uh, even, even that one guy who couldn't get through and, left us some angry messages, ended up being very, very nice and forgiving and sending us some good questions. So uh, even, you know, even the listeners that we have said uh, are pretty good people. We so. hope to field a few stray questions that were sent yeah. us on Twitter at, uh, yeah, at the we'll end get, of this podcast. We'll but but we, so should, we, we should do that again down the line. Yeah, yeah please pr- give us more people to interact with in our lives as we're uh, stuck in our homes just with each other and our loved ones. Okay, David. 
here we have reviews as well to continue talking about our listeners. Oh, happily. Uh, let's see. Speaking of our uh, call-in episode, see the, uh, the number zero BBZ says a long time coming. Hey, guys, congratulations on 300 episodes. This review is a long time coming. Just like what the title is. A really, really inexcusably long time. I've been listening for around a decade since the Operation Kino days. And this was the first podcast I really listened to. Ooh, I just hit the read more, and this review got about three times as long. Uh, I'll power Maybe through. Maybe we'll do just a couple of them. Yeah, we'll Ugh, do... Uh, we'll, I'm, I'm we'll, kicking back here. We'll do uh, <laughs> one or two, and then we'll uh, have some more for future weeks. Uh, that was in eighth grade, and I continued to tune in through both high school and college, as well as the working years after. So when I started, I was already into film. I was only just starting to really get into film criticism. And this podcast could very well have been the kick that pushed me fully through that door uh, this is David speaking now. I'm very sorry. It's been a pleasure not just to hear you guys on various topics week to week, but to watch how you guys have grown over the years. When I started listening, nobody had been married, let alone had kids. Though I'm just a listener, it feels like I've come to know you all over the years. Thank you for your insights and for allowing me to feel like a part of the group. I'd hope to tell you all this in virtual Zoom person and hope that there's another dial-in episode on the horizon where I can try again to get through. Uh, we hope so, too. Until then, I have two quick questions I plan to ask. First, David, I remember you talking about a movie years ago about a teacher who infected their students with AIDS. What movie is this? I have no idea. Infected them with AIDS? I have, okay, one movie comes to mind, but it may not be the right one. There was a, a Japanese film called Confession that, uh, I can't remember if that's the plot. I just remember they incessantly replayed a radio at B-side, but uh, that's the only potential movie that jumped to mind i'm sorry that i don't have it off the top of my head you'd think something like that would be more memorable um i don't know i will uh, I will uh do you find it Con- confessions yeah that's what you were just saying yeah maybe and, or is that right there's confessions is c injects hiv positive contaminated blood in the milk cartons of two students that sounds right yeah yeah, no, I think also, I was going to say the faculty. So, according to Wikipedia, no. there's something called girl positive. But let me look. No, it up. was uh, I've never heard of girl positive, so it must have been Confessions, which is a movie that uh, warts and all. I was pretty impressed by the, the the filmmaking of it. Reminded me of like a David Fincher back in the early '90s when he was really leading with style more than anything else. Um, interesting movie. Never really got a release here. So I was in New York Asian Film Festival. Not something I thought to be. I was going to be. Thinking about today but uh confessions good luck to find it out there i think it's by tetsuya nakashima good poll um is that right anyway i think so i closed the window but that's great um (laughs) that's enough info it's googleable that's the important part that is uh so what movie is this we've answered that asked and answered second do you guys have any recommendations on fictional books about films things akin to zeroville which this podcast put me on to and i love uh I'll just finish this review here before we answer that. Sorry for such a long review. And thanks again for everything. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay sane, and please give up the good work. This review, very helpful. Thank you, C0BBZ. Um, I'll defer to everyone else because uh, Zeroville is the only book I've ever read. <laughs> what was that? that? Uh, I'm trying to remember that epistolatory uh, novel of that kind of had like a Kubrick-like figure. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, not... It's called like Night Moves, or I don't know. Night Moves, the Kelly Reichardt film, no. or the uh, Gene Hackman film. No. The song? Did also a song, Night Moves? It's not about night, night Shift. Moves. I don't know. Night Moves might also be a song. Um, if I if I if I, if I if I remember it, I'll scream it out okay. in the middle of a of a of something Katie says on the podcast. 
Wait, do you not know the song Night Moves? I must. Working on the night moves. Oh, of course, yeah. Working on the night moves. Yeah, but Night Shift uh, is better. Night film. Wow. Night. Oh, yeah. I remember that coming out. Oh, and uh, uh, Farron Nemi wrote uh, a book about film and murder. And I wish I could remember the title. I'll Google it really quickly. Someone vamp. The answer. I, I have the answer. It's called Night Film. Yeah. Yeah. The second you took off that. your headset, I said it. Damn it. <laughs> I ran to my wife to find out, and you figured it out. <laughs> Shit. Well, it was, I, I was Googling as fast even as I, I, I can't remember uh, the name. Farron uh, uh, Nemi's book is called Missing, Missing Reels. Missing Reels. I don't know. Yeah, I need to. Oh, go ahead. I need to read some book about uh, film production. Fictional, I've read, fictional like, books. Yeah, I've read like biographies, but no um, fiction. That sounds. This, this uh, website says House of Leaves counts, so I'll make um, that my suggestion. I would shout out. It's not a movie. It's not a book, rather. It's a movie. But I was just watching and just wrote about Olivia Assayas's Irma Vep, which um, reminds me how exciting the odd movie about the filmmaking process can be. Um, and just as a uh, obligatory note of caution to anyone out there. Um, Zeroville is a terrific novel, but please, See the movie. for your own safety, avoid the James <laughs> Franco adaptation at all. Did it ever come out? It did. Uh, it came out several years after it was shot. Um, when it started to seem like it would just be lost and buried forever, uh, I reviewed it late last year. It is risible. Um, and I say this as someone who's had nice things to say about some of James Franco's work over the years, but that is not the kind of book that you can adapt willy nilly as one of the 12 movies you make in a given year. It really required an attention to detail that he was not ready to give to it. Um, all right, let's read one more review and then we'll uh, move on. Um, the mint master says, I can't believe I'm finally reviewing this podcast. Ah, real monsters. Okay, I added the real monsters, but they did say ah with three capital H's. <laughs> Reviewing this podcast has been on my capital letters to-do list for like years now. My story in a nutshell. One sad day, after a particularly bad bit of romantic distress, I found myself on a long drive needing something to drown out my existential despair. Ooh, I like this. It's like the start of a noir. I found a cast of kings, which became my go-to podcast during each Game of Thrones season. Joanna Robinson fast became one of my favorite voices in media. From there, I found a storm of spoilers and finally, dot, 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 fighting in the war room. It is indeed a podcast. You guys have surely heard it all before. When I see a notification for a new episode each week, my heart lifts. I know. I'm so sick of hearing how much people look forward to our stupid show. Um, My virtual pals who don't know me at all are going to discuss movies and television. And for an hour or so, I'll be entertained and sometimes delightfully annoyed. I do yell at my car speakers when they are talking over each other. You lovely folk are my vehicular friends, a bomb for my stressful Los Angeles drives. Whether I'm traversing the city for a meeting at a studio that will surely go nowhere, meeting a pal for lunch, heading to my slew of menial day jobs, the Fighting in the War Room podcast is there for me, opening my eyes to things I haven't heard of or otherwise wouldn't have given a chance. I love hearing about the kids, by the way. I have none of my own yet, but I appreciate the honesty about working from home with children and how it changes your lifestyle for better and for worse. Uh, Just a a pro tip for me to you, the Mint Master, uh, don't 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 have a... uh, giant pandemic yeah Um, don't do it i just don't recommend that part having kids well god i was just saying to someone because of a little ace related disaster we had earlier today that uh it is absolutely terrible i am uh, panicked from the moment i wake up to the moment i go to sleep and it's great you should do it 
Uh, I will be mm-hmm. shocked when I have a fam of my own. Oh, right. Or picking up what they said, learned a lot about having children from us. I won't be as shocked when I have a fam of my own. Uh, thanks for all you do. I can't explain how much this podcast means to me. Sinead Persuad. Sinead Persuade. Is it meant to rhyme? Is it a gnome de plume? I don't know. Sinead, either way, great name. Uh, very helpful review. I got to say Sinead Pers- Pers- Persuade. Uh, Probably a rhyme. Probably wrong. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, I, I hope that even now that your Los Angeles drives are a lot shorter because the concept of traffic has been uh, reduced to a thing of the past, uh, that you still have time to listen to the show. Um, if you left us a review and we haven't read it, we will read it in future weeks. But please don't let that stop any of you out there from leaving us uh, another review of your own. We will get to it in very short order. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. It's always great to hear from everyone out there, especially now. Uh, hey, so congratulations to Dave. He had a child. He got yeah. a child. He got the child. Got let, the me child. You, let me tell you the story about the child. I have a baby uh, Yoda like doll here he's filled with he's he's like a pillow but what is uh, he filled with life size i don't know like cotton it feels like i kind of wish he has some beans at the bottom to keep him weighted those are his mm. balls uh yeah does he sit up he stands up on his own okay his head's a little top heavy so you kind of have to balance him but um uh, he came <laughs> he from china He's so cute. He was ordered um, uh, when The Mandalorian aired, and we all realized that there would be a tiny little Baby Yoda as part of it. And as soon as uh, Baby Yoda merchandise started uh, peeking its head out, I was like, well, got to get some of this. And then it turns out Java was also into The Mandalorian greatly because of the child. Java or Java? Java. Java. With a v- Java wants the kid for other reasons. <laughs> I mean, I can see that as a season two plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting because as the, you know, the pandemic uh, came about, there was all sorts of shipping uh, weirdness because I'm yeah, pretty sure this a lot of this was shipped from China. Um, I say a lot of this because I kept getting conflicting orders about when things had shipped. Like I got it like he was shipped. And then like two days later, I got like he was shipped again. And then I got, like, he was delayed. And then a couple of days later, I got he was shipped again. Well, it turns out I ordered three separate Baby Yodas. <laughs> so I have this life-sized one. I have a Black Series action figure one, uh, which people on the podcast can't see, but it's hilariously small in comparison Wait, to... People like, on the podcast also can't just see that you just stepped out of frame for a second to grab something and revealed behind you a glass case full oh, of toys. hundreds of action figures. Wait, Dave, you never seen this before? I don't know if it's registered with me. Dave's slender body has hidden uh, this uh, case for a very long time. Uh, yeah, so uh, we now have... Today, I think the final one came, and it's a baby Yoda that when you squeeze him, he makes baby sounds, and he has a little frog and a little bone broth cup. So You know, I haven't. I didn't see it before, but Baby Yoda does bear an uncanny resemblance to my child. <laughs> yes, the, the big black bug eyes, the giant floppy ears, with the round little shape with a dent in the middle of the head. Mm-hmm. That new dent in the middle of the head. The new dent. <laughs> I've been calling, God, we don't need to get into this, but I have been calling Asa uh, Harvey Dent all afternoon. 
Oh. <laughs> So that happened. Release the Snyder Cut, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on an upcoming podcast uh, about movies that uh, you should watch, like essential movies. And I was on uh, stumping for Pinocchio as like the animated film of the 20th century, uh, which is nice because that means if they get it back into like Pixar or something, they can at least pick something in the 21st century. And let me have my my crown. Uh, the podcast is called uh, Shifting Expectations, I believe. Yes. And uh, one of our friends who called in for the 300th episode, Riley Trahan, is the host. So um, I got to watch Pinocchio again. Still holds up. Still holds up real well. Uh, it's scary. It, it's scary. good. That's it's what you like about fairy tales. It's like listen, go to school, or monsters will come and sell you into human trafficking. You like, know what's a scary movie that lesson. holds up? Jaws. Mm, Indeed, yeah. Jaws was on TV the other day. Also has a giant fish with a mouth. It does. Uh, it does. But Jaws was on TV the other day, and I uh, just sort of sat there and watched like ninety minutes of it. Good movie. Yeah, I don't know if you guys knew that. Yeah, no, it was one of the previous episodes of the Shifting Expectation podcast, I think, is considered a good movie. But other than that, <laughs> I don't have uh, a ton of extra media uh, reporting to do. I, I edited a live podcast last week. You're floating through. I heard that took some time. It took a little bit of time, but it was fun to re-listen to everybody and hear David shamed for reading reviews wrong by a man who was wearing a hat that said hat. Mm. I remember that well. Great moments. Uh, Katie, what have you been up to? Oh, man. I had, uh, I've not consumed much media myself. I rewatched Cabaret for Little Gold Men, uh, which you can listen to on Little Gold Men. Um, I feel like I shouldn't like double dip. Good movie. I just watched I the watched- first episode of Fosse Verdon. Well, so I watched it last year. So this, not this time last year, but like last winter, I was on maternity leave. And so I read the Bob Bossy biography that Bossy Verdon was based on and watched. I guess I just watched All That Jazz, which I hadn't seen in Cabaret, which I had. I didn't watch Star 80 because I don't want to. Um, anyway, so I had rewatched it relatively recently. Uh, that movie holds up. It's very good. And now I should maybe finish Bossy Verdon, which I never finished and I feel bad about. There's a lot of TV. Uh, I feel bad about not watching Mrs. America, which is the this year's FX series about the past that I feel like I should watch. Um, I don't know. Even Charlie's been watching a bunch of like crap on Netflix that I don't really care about. Although Damn. Chip and Dale's come back in the rotation. I still like Chip and Dale. Wait, you took Charlie to Chip and Dale's? What was I it? didn't yes. think that they could open with the quarantine. But it's, yeah, it's no, it turns out. Yeah, it's uh, you, you just have to keep your distance from the uh, from the jock straps. Um, yeah, the, there's a yeah. pants guard that keeps the pants from flying in your face. <laughs> uh, we had a breakthrough in watching The Lion King where we've always skipped over Mufasa's death. And um, this time he pieced together that Mufasa is dead later on. And we then like, and then he watched the end fight with Scar. So maybe eventually we will watch the full 90 minutes of The Lion King. Can I ask you where, a, yes. uh, a question on how to conduct myself in the real world so that I am not an asshole? Um, I have a friend who Wait, am i the hashtag am i the asshole am i oh, yeah. i haven't been the asshole yet so this is i'm preempting okay. this is pre pre-crime you're the cogs uh pre-cogs um <laughs> i was on instagram stories the other day and saw that my friend has been showing his kid on rotation because i've seen it pop up on the instagram stories multiple times the live action quote unquote live action remake of lion king now his mm. daughter is also like two 
And I just don't understand why this would be. I can't understand. Why you would choose to show it to your three-year-old who doesn't have a strong enough opinion. Yeah, so we've probably discussed this a bit on our Lion King episode. Um, I guess if your two-year-old watches nature videos on YouTube, then maybe there's a logical step to showing them the photo real version of Lion King. But I, I... do feel compelled. My finger is over the button waiting to like message him and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but <laughs> what is that, your relationship is that, with this person? We're actually buddies from film school. So I feel like I have a special leg up in being like, this is a cultural crime and I should report you. But uh, yeah. we're not like hanging out all the time. We're not talking all the time. So I, I would know. just call, yeah. I would just call child protective services right away. And then yeah. touch base let, with the, your friend. let the cops deal with yeah. it. I see. Yeah. So oh, actually that's, that's, that just reminded me uh, of the one I watched an entire season of a show in the last week and it completely fallen out of my mind in terms of things to talk oh, about. Right. This okay. episode. Well, we're handing you the baton. What have you been Well, doing? no, it's just relative. To, it's relevant to what you're talking about. Uh, Lisa and I watched breeders on FX uh, which mm. oh the mm-hmm. um uh, uh what's no. his name? Martin, Martin Freeman. Freeman. Freeman show yeah I watched the first episode of it and it stressed me out Same. it is no. I mean it's I thought it was fantastic I I, I really enjoyed all ten episodes of the first season and wow. very conveniently I woke up this morning to see news that it was just renewed uh, for a second season but uh, it is maybe the bleakest thing I've ever seen on television <laughs> it, it is relentlessly dark. it is not one of those like. We'll have a like yes, having kids is hard. We have two of them. It's difficult to keep a marriage going, or no, they're not even married. It's not uh, catastrophe. It is not you know when when there are bumps along the road and we're all just going to laugh at it at the end of the day. I mean, catastrophe is is a distant cousin, but um, certainly takes place in the same city. But uh, Predators is fucking bleak. Uh, it is bleak all the way down to the very last beat of the first season. It is bleak. Um, although I guess the very end counts as a kind of catharsis. But man, it is. Uh, what keeps you watching it? Because, uh, I mean, Katie, you've seen the first episode, too, which I just thought was relentlessly – I mean, bleak is the right word. It, Martin Freeman hates his how his kids have like kind of ruined his life, and he <laughs> resents them in almost every second. They'll, they'll fuss or they'll ask questions, and it's really just about – at least the first two episodes that I've watched are just about him fuming and just being really vicious and imagining himself it's, walking it's away. It's just like if you were a, a dad with two young children – and we're stripped down to nothing but pure id all the time. I mean, it's just like completely unchecked id as a father just raging in every direction um, as things fall apart around him. And it is incredibly stressful. Um, you know, the, the, the season ends with the two-part episode involved where their son gets very, very sick. And uh, Asa had a not-at-all-life-threatening mishap earlier today where it was the first time that I really sort of panicked in regards to physical safety and an episode that seemed kind of fun but heavy last night and I was able to sort of watch from at least a little bit of remove was suddenly way too real for me but it is uh it, it does feel like the stress you feel of parenthood sort of amped up to a degree that is hopefully just a little bit beyond what you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis but the writing is sharp it's funny um, it, it, you have to sort of be in a certain headspace for it. I think having a kid who's only five months old and not having to parent him in the way that Martin Freeman's character really has to parent his children is probably helpful. I think if they were older, it might hit a little bit too close to home. But at least I really enjoyed it. I prefer my parenting to be reflected back to me in metaphor as in um, a uh, baby Yoda. Sure. Specifically. 
Yeah, I like I, I like the uh, the creatures more than the human children reflected to me on screen. If Martin Freeman's son on Breeders was Baby Yoda, I'm oh, sure yeah, you know, the best of both worlds. That actually was really su- funny. I was supposed to talk on this segment about The Last Dance, and it's fine that I sort of drifted away from that <laughs> because I don't have a ton to say. And it turns out that nobody else I met with, with the three other people in America, the three only people in America who did not watch The Last Dance. It shoots, it scores. You're exposing um, us as a bunch of dunk. nerds. No, I, uh, you know, I was a huge basketball fan uh, in the mid '90s, and then I discovered hockey, and I'm a very monogamous fan of things, and uh, it's been hockey for me ever since. But, um, I, you know, I think the last dance has been an amazing nostalgia trip for a lot of us, people of our generation. But, you know, I, it's it felt like it ended up feeling kind of like empty calories. I was a little bit let down with the feeling of like this is it by the time it was over. But it is a remarkable story that is crisply and cleverly told and pieced together in a bit of assemblage that always feels sort of smart and sensible, but also kind of associative. Um, but just like the, and I found Michael Jordan to be such a compelling character in a way that I never really understood before. I mean, just how he would motivate himself. I mean, it's beyond obvious to anyone who watched the show, but really the recurring theme to the point where it becomes pure self-parody by the last episode is just that he would take the slightest infraction, the slightest bit of gamesmanship from anyone else, the slightest bit of doubt, and turn it into fuel to absolutely ruin somebody's life. Uh, and it allowed him, the breakthrough for me in the final episode was that you know, someone says that uh, he was able to, because of his almost like sociopathic competitive nature. I mean, he would play Yahtzee with people on the bus of his minor league baseball team who made $37,000 a year and he would destroy them for $10 uh, and like make it his business and not be able to sleep unless he got the money off of them. I mean, it's really a drive for him, but um, that that competitive streak allowed him to be present in the moment in, in really all situations that he was able to gamify in a way that I think a lot of us go to therapy to learn how to do, even when it comes to hanging out with our children or, you know, just enjoying our day-to-day lives. And it's a definitely a double-edged sword for him, um, even though competitive sport you professionally worked out well. But uh, it, it, it did make me think a little bit of like a Daniel Plainview, uh, a Daniel Plainview that is uh, revered by our culture <laughs> and maybe not quite as homicidal. But uh, I hate most people. That guy. Yeah, I mean, Michael Jordan does. It, the, the documentary does feel it, it inches close to hagiography at times, and it's definitely uh, he's a complicated guy. But at the same time, I think it's kind of net positive on him. It, he is a demanding teammate. It could be extremely difficult to be around and said some terrible things to people. But, but by and large, it seems he comes across as someone who has a good heart and is uh, amiable and loving to the people who need him to be and so on in ways that, you know, you can't say about Daniel Plainview. But uh, uh, yeah, I just thought it was a fascinating portrait of a guy, even if it ended up feeling a little bit less in some of its parts. Um, it is it is also compulsively watchable. And I think that you will find, the last thing I'll say about it, that if you, are, you don't think yourself a sports fan and you pop in one episode uh, when it's probably streaming on ESPN.com now and will eventually be on Netflix as a Netflix co-production, I would be shocked if you are not completely sucked in within 20 or 30 minutes in a way that will drive you to watch all 10 hours. Similar to how Michael Jordan was sucked into a golf hole and turned into a cartoon mm-hmm. basketball player. I guess he was. Uh, yeah, very, very, there, there is an episode about the making of Space Jam. It that is really, fascinating. That's, that's the real draw for me. 
Now All what? right, Patches, I think it's your turn, right? Yeah, Patches. You only got to talk about uh, Lion King crimes against humanity. That's true. That, But that is viewing. Instagram stories are, are now count as things we watch this week. <laughs> oh, that's true. I should bring some of those up. I don't. Do you browse Instagram very often? Do you deviate no, no. from the friends channels just to see what's happening on the search? Yeah. I get, I get auto program the weirdest things. My uh, recommendation page is entirely hedgehogs. <laughs> <laughs> it knows what it knows what you like, and apparently there's one pig there. But yeah, it's that's mostly a pig. So. It's strange. Yeah, mine is constantly giving me like Avatar: The Last Airbender fan art or weird celebrity couples that i've never heard of doing taking pictures of each other it's i don't don't know i don't get instagram um what did i watch this week i did i had two two different timothy chalamet (laughs) gifts it's all those dune photos you're posting on vf probably um i watched had two very different movie experiences one none of you will care about so i'll spend very little time talking about it but i watched um i'm looking at a little hamster eating a carrot thanks to david's instagram right now no one can see it other hedgehogs that's a that's a hamster not the, they're not oh, all hedgehogs don't don't they're lie they're not all hedgehogs Some they're most they're mostly hedgehogs um I watched Kevin Costner's Open Range. Has anyone thought about this film since it came out in 2003? <laughs> the, the animated movie? No. Oh, no, sorry. Not Disney's Open Range. Oh, okay. uh, Open Range, the live-action 2003 movie directed by Kevin Costner that in got fairness, reviews. Patches did explicitly say Kevin Costner's Open that's Range. That's true. Not, Kevin, I didn't not know Roseanne sure. Barr's Open Range. I didn't know for sure Kevin Costner wasn't and that's in home Disney's on the range. Open Range. That's home, home on the Range. range. Oh, um, okay. Open Open Range is a throwback western with Costner and Robert Duvall uh, just shooting people up and being the best the best men in the world. They are free ranging cowmen and they come onto this town's land and the town doesn't want them there and they're like fuck you and end up. They've got a lot of people. sandpaper for skin and crags for every wrinkle and yeah, I think it's a you know it's a throwback to old westerns. It kind of plays a little differently now. I think it has a it has a kind of a some of the people I was talking to about it thought I had a MAGA vibe. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's certainly not admirable for you people. You talk to come. other people about this movie. Do you watch this That's with your helpful. like friend group? Was that your? Yeah, like, I've been I've been watching movies with. Uh, a why was it chosen? Why did because you all each person gets to pick a random movie? Well, the, the, the truth is, it starred Michael Gambon, who was in another movie that I can't remember the name of that we watched uh, earlier. But Open Range uh, is it's streaming on. I want to say Hulu. Uh, but this this movie I think is fascinating because it got really great reviews in 2003. A lot of critics were like, "This is a th- classic throwback to those old westerns we all loved." And never before have I seen such a disparity between like the critics we have now. I know we there's a lot of conversation in our pockets of the universe where people are like, the the critic base could still be you know it could be more diverse. There could be more voices. We can get more people on Rotten Tomatoes and really have lots of opinions to be more conclusive about what if a movie is good or bad um but man 2003 rotten tomatoes 2003 reviews are just all old white guys loving this really bad western throwback by kevin got such a boring boring film um except for ao scott of the new york times he's like this sucks and i was just like (laughs) he's gonna make something of himself i bet this tony (laughs) that one uh so can't recommend open range but then i i had an i had another film experience 
I was so tired on Saturday. Just like every weekend of the quarantine uh, is hitting a wall and still having to parrot and still having to be awake and get my chores done. Um, but on Saturday, I was just so, so tired. I thought I was going to take a nap. And I am not someone who can like lay down and be like, I'm going to take a nap and then take a nap. I have to fall asleep trying to watch something. Um, and for some reason, I turned on Grave of the Fireflies. The mm. <laughs> Uh, I believe it's Takahata film, right? It's, it's a- the it's the breeders of uh, Studio Ghibli. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> we're all watching things that are reflective of parental experiences here. This is the Studio Ghibli film. I, I don't remember the no- the year. Someone else looked this up. I think it's late eighties, right? It's um, nineteen eighty eight. It came out. It came out on the same day as My Neighbor Totoro. Ghibli released it on the same day in theaters. So strange. Well, so families were different distributors because that's why it feels like a. Bad marketing decision, but... I think that's a distributor issue. This movie has always been separate from this main Studio Ghibli collection, which is why you can stream it on Hulu, whereas all the other movies are about to come to HBO Max in a week and a half. Um, but if you have not seen Grave of the Fireflies, I'm sure you've heard people who love animation talk about it, because it is an absolutely devastating uh, period piece that takes place uh, in at, towards the end of World War II um, with these two Japanese kids, uh, maybe like a 12-year-old boy... Uh, and his three or four year old sister, and they are living in Japan. Their father is uh, working in the Navy, so he's gone. And right off the bat, in the beginning of the film, their house is firebombed by the U.S. Army. And, um, or the, or the, yeah. And, and, the, and their mother dies, and they are out on their own. They move in with an aunt who does not want anything to do with them because they are not. Patriot, the boy is not patriotic enough to like serve in the army or help out. He's taking care of his sister 100% of the time, and he's seen as a, a terrible person for doing that by this aunt. So eventually they just break out on their own and they live in a fallout shelter on a like rich person's property that's been, uh, uh, you know, they, they've moved away because of the war. So it's all sitting there just waiting for someone to move in and they try and scrounge up food. They try and survive. It's a very pastoral film. Um, and I, I won't spoil what happens, but let's just say it's absolutely devastating. And if you are the father of a two year old, you immediately watch this movie and watch the, the devastation that happens to these children and run upstairs and wake your kid up and give her a big hug because holy you know, shit, this movie made me cry so much. I, so I had to review a film. Horrifying. I had to review a Chilean stop motion film last week called The Wolf House, which is playing on virtual cinema. You can Google The Wolf House and you can rent the movie for $12 or something like that, uh, which is about a uh, – it's an animated stop film based on true story of a Chilean Nazi cult, uh, a guy named Paul um, Schaefer, not Dave Letterman's Paul Schaefer, but a different Paul <laughs> Schaefer, uh, I believe. Really? Not the same one? I don't, I don't think Prove it's the same it's one. The same. <laughs> uh, escaped from Nazi Germany to Chile um, and then under Pinochet's uh, supervision and support um, started a little Nazi. He was a, a pedophile um, and uh, was sexually abusing like dozens of children and started a community there. Um, they ended up shell- uh, housing uh, um, Joseph Mengele, Nazi doctor, when he escaped from Nazi Germany. And in this animated film, a girl escapes from the commune and goes to, it's in the shape form of a fairy tale. She finds a house. She's pursued by a wolf, and she finds two pigs there, and she raises them to be humans. Um, but she ends up inflicting the same sort of... Uh, child abuse that she received from the people who raised her on the commune uh, and her little by you know, humanoid pig children who she raises. And I, the lead of my review is that I, I thought it 
it had to be one of, if not the darkest animated films I've ever seen in my entire life. It is unrelentingly bleak um, as a comment sort of on the, the cyclicality of trauma. Uh, and then I, I should have remembered Grave of the Fireflies is the only <laughs> other movie that could be in that conversation. Really. Well, what's amazing is it's not so bleak because I think Takahata has a, has a you know, a human touch. This is the beauty of 2D animation. The, the three-year-old in the movie is just so alive and she loves life. She loves jumping up and down and running around the fields and looking around the towns and, and following her brother. She admires him so much. It's, it's a beautiful film about brother and sister friendship and, and survival. And the, uh, then there's scenes of war that are just absolutely horrific and rendered it with such detail that that studio ghibli is known for and, and then what happens over time as they realize they're, they're not going to feed themselves they're not going to mm-hmm. be able to survive on their own it's impossible um and the the devastating you know it's it's also about the pride of of war it's definitely uh, you know there's a lot of takahata interviews about this film that are like this is it's not an anti-war film it's just about what life is like during war it's like of course it's an anti-war film um <laughs> did you, know, you it, uh did you happen to watch the grave of the fireflies on pluto tv no, I watch it on Hulu. It is streaming uh, without commercials, <laughs> thankfully. On, well, on Hulu. well, that's too bad because uh, on Pluto TV, <laughs> which my new not, favorite streaming service, which I, I again we need to stress is not yet a sponsor of the show. See, we have talked. We actually talked about this on our 300th episode last week. A caller, um, I believe, the gentleman with the hat that said "hat" uh, was grilling me about why I always uh, was sort of conditioned to enjoy cable TV and, and you know enjoy an experience where I didn't have to choose what I was going to watch and why I struggle with some of the a la carte streamers. Uh, and Pluto TV is a web streamer that sort of caters to sickos like me who like to sort of find things midstream and watch whatever happens to be on when somebody else do the programming. Uh, there are dozens, if not hundreds of, of sort of invented channels on Pluto TV that are running live TV. Uh, there's one that is, I mean, there are a bunch of movie channels that all have kind of generic names. And I think one, like only it's either called asylum or only runs movies that are actually made by the schlock studio, the asylum. Um, but there's an entire channel devoted to MTV dating shows, which is uh, go to for me. There are, I mean, all sorts of niche channels like that. But, uh, and I, I turned it on today and on one of the classic channels, they had the spy came in from the cold. They had bell book and candle on another, um, they had a bunch of like Jesse Bradford teen comedies from like 2005 that went straight to video. Uh, but like this, this is what I want. This is what I crave. These are my interests. The only thing, the only hurdle for me with Pluto TV is that I still, there is an app, uh, Apple TV app that I've yet to install, but I still have to make the choice. Maybe that'll solve the problem for me. Cause right now it's difficult for me to like go on my browser and open Pluto TV and make that extra step that cable takes away from me. But, uh, Patches, what have you discovered on Pluto TV? Well, American Gladiators, of course. Yeah. Um, I, I watched Minority Report the other day. I think maybe I mentioned that. that uh, Did you catch it in the middle? Yes, of course. I catch <laughs> everything on Pluto TV. Hell yeah. And then you get to see like the part of the movie that you always miss, and you, you feel like it's this rare gift. You, know, you never get like early Minority Report. What a treat. Yeah, I mean, I would highly recommend people like dig up. There's good lists of of all these free streaming services that will play normal TV like this. There's there's Pluto TV, uh, IMDb TV has this too. Tubi uh, TV is kind of like this. It's more a la carte, but still running ads. It's all free. I mean, Do you want to be I feel sponsored like I've by? I've seen a post on Polygon.com that outlines mm. all the places I could stream. Well, 
TV, I would yeah, like it, that. But sure. Patches, yeah. do you want to be sponsored by Pluto TV or not? What are you Sorry. doing? Pluto TV. <laughs> Pluto TV is the one true streaming service for people like us. Pluto. Pluto. You can find everything. It's not a planet, but it is a great streaming platform. Wow. There's so much random stuff. Pluto TV has uh, the bad Legally Blonde sequel and the bad Ryan Gosling movie, Ides of March. How do you choose? <laughs> You know, wherever your butter, oh, your uh, your finger slips. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk briefly about Lynn Shelton, who was a great filmmaker who died really suddenly and really sadly last week of a uh, undiagnosed blood disorder, which is, you know, one of those terrifying things that now we will all worry about probably that we might also secretly have. Great. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Not about me though. Her work is amazing. She had a movie out last year called Sword of Trust that was very enjoyable and kind of light. Uh, She's made some pretty great movies with Hump Day and Your Sister's Sister and Laggies, which I really love. And it's kind of a weird, odd duck movie. Um, I think a lot of her movies have kind of like a sensibility that you can tune into or not tune into, but they're not hard to watch. And they're about people kind of trying to do the right thing to each other and like live in the world, which is always a a vibe that I like. I I think the term mumblecore has kind of aged out blessedly because it was always a little bit limiting. And her movies, I think, prove the limits of that term more than many others because they were they had improvisational aspects, but they were tight and structured and um, really thoughtfully put together. And it's a I don't know, it's a huge loss. And I felt like we should at least see her name and maybe inspire some people to see her movies if they haven't. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's no, it was I I really uh, I was shocked. I, 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 I've, I've said so, I've so pulled over. I. I I have talked about another podcast. I, mean, I remember it was on Blank Check, and I talked about Harrison Ford in this context, but and I was very glib about it, sort of knowingly so, tongue in cheek. I'm sure this comment will end up biting me in the ass one day. But uh, I did that shortly after my dad died, and there was a spate of celebrity deaths. I mean, David Bowie died like of the same thing that my dad died of, like two, uh, a month later. And I was just, and I was very sad about that. But I was thinking about like the emotional bandwidth that we have for celebrity deaths, and I think it's it's easy for some people. I'm not being cynical about this at all. I think to, to tap into the currents of the universe, the emotions out there, and really feel uh, for all these people they never met and their loss. Um, and I was maybe more one of those people before, uh, you know, people in my own life started to die. And, and I had to, um, sort of monitor my, the emotional bandwidth that I had, uh, you can't really choose these things, you know, um, how you're going to feel about something, but, uh, you know, the people die. I never met them and I'm sad. I'm sorry for their loss, but, uh, I, I just don't sometimes have the strength to let it all come in. But when I, uh, when I saw the news of Lynn Shelton the other day, I was really winded. Um, it's just, I, I think everything about it was, was shocking. Uh, I think we all on this podcast have a lot of people who know a lot of people who knew her, a lot of mutual friends close in that way, a pillar of the indie community for the last 10 years or so. Uh, you know, a young filmmaker who seemed like she was going to be the lifeblood of, of, uh, the medium where it is now for a long time to come. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I a huge loss. That's all we had to say. I don't, need, I don't think we need to go on about it forever, but if you haven't seen her movies, seek them out. They are uh, a worthy, and it's 
even though the news of her passing is sad, I think her movies have some uh, some lightness to bring into. And her TV. I mean, I think that's not to. Just yeah. Oh my god! I mean, she's directed so many great episodes of television. Yeah, I mean, interesting. I, 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 I almost, just find her ability to pivot back and forth to to be kind of fascinating as an artist and still have a lot of integrity doing that. I mean, she directed a lot of Glow. She just did Little Fires Everywhere, but she was doing a lot of like regular sitcom stuff. I think she did New Girl, a bunch of episodes of New Girl, like Fresh <laughs> Off the Boat. I mean... I would not be me if I did not point out one of her television credits in particular. Uh, I, I didn't want to harp on this just because uh, I didn't want to diminish from all of the incredible film work that she self-generated. Um, but I think there, for reasons legitimate and not, there is a way to perceive it negatively to sort of just you know, more talk about the work for hire she did on television. But her episode of Mad Men is so special and extraordinary and directed in a way that is not only um, completely you know, distinct to her and could not have just been done by whoever was cycling through that week, but is also in stark contrast to the rest of her work. Um, it doesn't feel like they just Lynn Shelton it up. Uh, like she really went to a different sort of aesthetic place anyway uh, to tap into a lot of the same. Which, say which episode it is? It's the episode where uh, a certain Hands character who I don't want to, yeah, it's called Anthony's. I don't want to spoil what happens in it, but someone um, goes to get an abortion. Um, and, uh, you know, things, they're crazy twists and turns. But, uh, um, she directed it with such grace, but it was also like the emotional undercurrent is similar to that, which run under some of her films, but stylistically, uh, it couldn't be further removed from sort of the run and gun style of her movies. And she just absolutely nailed it. It's a linchpin episode in that entire series. Uh, and so, you know, I wouldn't want her TV work to overshadow the film work she did from her own writing and, and, you know, projects she spearheaded, but, but uh, it's a really special episode of TV. All right, for our final segment tonight, we're going to answer two questions that we didn't get to on our call-in show that people kindly followed up and and sent us. Um, We hope to do this experiment again, but um, we don't know when and we don't know how but uh, or why. So why don't we take these questions so that some people get a moment in the spotlight that they wanted? And I really do apologize. If you were on that call waiting, I don't think we would have expected having like 50 people waiting to call into our, our show. We just could Definitely not have imagined not. it or could not have imagined um, the, you know, the kind of conversations we'd have with people who got on and how we'd easily eat up time doing that. So apologies to everyone who didn't make it, but it was an amazing experience. And we, again, we'll hopefully do it uh, soon, uh, but we're going to read some of these questions. So this one's from Orlando uh, who says, I thought I would ask you something completely frivolous that would probably be more suited for the guys at This Had Oscar Buzz, a friend of the podcast there. Over the last 15 or so years, Daniel Craig has served dutifully in the role of 007. So I would ask you what actor's career was most sandbagged by not getting to play Bond? Two examples spring to mind. It was reported in the UK press that Clive Owen 
was a seeming lock early on for the role. I think he would have been great being able to convincingly play a bruiser like Craig, but also still retain a lot of the suave Bronson that has been sorely lacking from the series as of late. Secondly, he would have been a bit young, but I posit that after the disastrous result of Quantum of Solace that Craig could have been replaced by Dominic Cooper. Cooper's return as Howard Stark, specifically in the Peggy Carter TV series, is what thoroughly convinced me he would have been a perfect as Bond. Lastly, I would like to point out that I am the person who kept messaging Matt and Dave about the lost episode 228, I believe. I think it could be really cool to be re-released, uh, if maybe if Katie and David intro it to reassure people the podcast was not canceled. <laughs> uh, the lost episode, yes. Well, we'll have to discuss that, maybe as a special. Maybe that'll be a quarter quote one day. Your yeah, we'll just re-release it without telling anybody, and then we'll relive canceling the podcast all over again. Our, our entire Patreon should be one episode of a show <laughs> where you try to cancel the show. Our Kickstarter, release the, release the lost episode. We'll anyway, make $10,000, and we'll see how badly Orlando wants to hear let's it. Let's talk about the James Bond franchise, and people who have been rumored to play this who didn't get to, and have their careers been utterly destroyed, or have they been saved from playing Bond? Clive Owen. Well, if Clive Owen one, had so. been James Bond, we probably would have been deprived Clive Owen in Children of Men, and to a lesser extent, Clive Owen in Duplicity and Closer, and to a greater extent, not than Children of Men, but of those other two movies, Clive Owen in The Nick. So, you know, and Clive shoot Owen. Him is, up. No. Uh, but maybe, you know, Clive and Owen. Hemingway and Gilhorn. Okay. <laughs> Classic um, <laughs> He His career is probably not. And Gemini Man. Uh, his career is probably Gemini not Man? ascended to the heights that he may have once dreamed. But uh, and his IMDb is reminding me he is playing Bill Clinton in American Crime Story, oh, which oh. I love Clive Owen, and I am dreading that. But uh, he would have, I mean, you know, I think that's one of the things we'll, we'll never know, but it just definitely made perfect sense to me why there was such a groundswell around him being James Bond, because he would have crushed it. Yeah. No, Clive Owen's kind of the ultimate example. I mean, you think like Jude Law was probably like kicked around at some point. And like, I also think Jude Law being able to grow up to be like a fun character actor as opposed to like, you know, the hunk of marble that Daniel Craig is now was probably a better turn for him. So here's people in the early 2000s, according to the internet, that were also up for that. Uh, Henry Cavill, Sam Worthington. Julian McMahon. Who? Uh, the guy McMahon. who was on um, that FX show, Nip Tuck, and he played Dr. Doom in the Fantastic Four. Movie. Yes, that is correct. Oh, sure. Uh, and uh, Duggery Scott. Duggery Scott, who uh, was replaced as... Yeah, no, he was supposed to, Oh, was he supposed to play Wolverine or Aragorn? He was supposed thinking, to play Wolverine. Yeah, he was supposed to play Wolverine. You're thinking of what's-his-name who was in League of Yeah, Stuart Townsend. Yes. Oh, right. Charlize Theron's ex-husband. Yes, he was supposed to play Aragorn. He did play Aragorn for like two weeks and then yeah. got booed. But also, historically, there have been, been actors that have been turned down for Bond and been just fine. Yeah, have you heard... I mean, Henry Cavill seems okay. Yeah, well, like, uh, Sam Neill's apparently uh, up at the same time as Timothy Dalton in 1986. Sam Neill. Oh, uh, Sam Mel Gibson Neill. was up at that time um, as well. If Sam Neill had been Bond, he wouldn't have that farm in New Zealand that he's always tweeting from. What's with all these so non-British Bonds? That seems strange. In 1967, Dick Van Dyke's poor English accent failed to appeal to producer Albert Brock. <laughs> it failed to appeal to everyone. 
<laughs> every every Bond has been from the United Kingdom, right? Like Sean Connery, Scottish, obviously. We'd have to do like a, we'd have to do a Wikipedia check on that. I don't think there's been like an Australian Bond or New Zealand. No, bond. that would be peculiar. Mel right. Gibson's technically Sam uh, Worthington. Who thought that was American? That must be. There, I mean, there's definitely well, that, a time where, like, was, if you get famous, a little famous, you're on the Bond list. Exactly, you're on the Bond oh, list. Yeah. And if you could leverage that, then maybe you could keep your career going. I think that's <clears throat> more than not getting Bond could kill your career. Not getting Bond could like uh, stop your 15 minutes of fame. It didn't help anyone's career, right? Like. Who did Bond does not push your career forward? It's, it ends up being the kind of. I mean, Daniel Craig's doing. I, I think maybe we wouldn't have said that for Daniel Craig until Knives Out, which is I mean, kind of the biggest hit he's had outside of Bond. Has to be. Oh yeah, but Daniel Craig is uh, got more money than God. Pierce Brosnan, who was not necessarily guaranteed to have much of a career if not for Bond, uh, has done very well for himself. Uh, Roger Moore still parodied, still parodied in The Trip to Greece. The fourth trip Sean movie. Connery has an Oscar. Sean Connery starred in The Rock alongside Nicholas Cage. Sean Connery Cage. has an Oscar? Yeah, he won for um, The Untouchables. The Rock. Um, and, and Timothy Dalton just got swallowed up by Jason Isaacs, and now we just don't need to. And George Lazenby is... Uh, I actually don't know if George Lazenby is alive. <laughs> so, Bond served him well. Well, Wait, he did one. How, of, one how do we feel about Edris Elba at this point? Do we still want him to be Bond? I, uh, I don't think I want... Anyone no. that we know to be Bond. I think that's my mm. general feeling. Daniel Craig was not on my radar. I don't think I had seen Layer Cake until after. I guess I saw Daniel Craig in Munich before Bond, right? I think. Yeah. If we're going to know. Yeah, like the year before. And he was in Road to Perdition, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I, I mean, I hate to but be not this a known basic. Entity. I hate to be this basic, but I, I'm sort of still on the Clive Owen train when it comes to Idris Elba in that I think people got this right also and that he would be a great Bond. Um, I'm sure they'll probably want to find somebody younger who can do five movies over 20 years. And and now Idris Elba has his own franchise in, the, um, well, in Cats, obviously. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's also it, the thing. I, mean, I, I kind of think you go with an unknown from Bond and give them like a chance at a franchise because if I want to see Idris Elba in an action spy movie, I don't want it constrained by Bond. I want... I need yeah. Elba action spy movie. Well, yeah. nah. I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw. He's going to be in another one. I don't really. I don't know. My really my don't pick. He made it out of that one. Oh, is he? The, he's the bad guy. Yeah, yeah he's the bad guy. Uh, he is. Uh, what's he's his like, line? He's the black. He's the black um, Superman. The black Superman. I. But I, also, that's never stopped someone from coming back in a Fast and Furious movie. This before. Is true. I made the case in the review of a otherwise unexceptional Michael Winterbottom movie. Um, called the wedding date, something about the wedding, maybe the wedding date. Uh, that Dev Patel Ooh. would be a great James Bond. Um, mm. And if you put a gun to my head tomorrow, and I urge you not to, please, they're James especially Bond not over this. Yeah. James Bond could do this. He has a license too. He has a license to pull the trigger. I um, think Dev Patel is about I as famous as you can be and still be Bond without kind no. of like, yeah, like celebrity casting Bond. I don't think it's is, ever been. Done. Um, is personal history David Copperfield still coming out? Or did it get bumped? Bumped it's been bumped. <laughs> it came out in the UK. I know. Um, anyway, he's great. Has anyone else seen it? I saw it at no. TIFF. David, did you see it? Nope. He's delightful in it. He's like funny and this great leading man. And like, I think that's a. He was it's about not to have a killer movie, Obviously, wasn't that? And then the uh, the the David Lowry. Film, the Green Knight. Right. Yeah. Um, well, Def Patel, whenever your movies get to come out, everyone will see how great you would be as James Bond. 
Yeah, baby, sponsor the podcast. This this, uh, list of actors considered for the James Bond character Wikipedia page is great. Because the (laughs) entry for Christian Bale says 2005, and reason he was not Bond, it says, consider the franchise, quote, very British, unquote, as well as having the opinion that the quote, the character represented, quote, every despicable stereotype about English and British actors, unquote, and that he had, quote, already played a serial killer, unquote, an American psycho. Wow. And then he just went on to play Batman. Okay. (laughs) Christian Bale just burns Bond on their Wikipedia page. Man, it's crazy to me that there's just a big old $200 million new Bond movie in the can somewhere just sitting there. Remember when they delayed the Bond movie and we were like, whoa, okay, like that seems like kind of an intense reaction to all this. I guess that's the thing that's going to happen. And then two weeks later, yeah, there like, was oh, there no that strange movies. window of time between when they, air, like after they air, they delayed the Bond movie, uh, Daniel Craig hosted Saturday Night Live. Like they were right. still, they were delaying like movies. that week, right? Yeah, it was a little bit like looking ahead. They were like, well, we're okay for now, but come April, this is going to be a problem. So get your kicks in while you can. Yeah, so so I'm, it was pushed back on March 4th, and March 11th was the day Tom Hanks announced it, which I I personally take as the, you know, the... Um, the day the coronavirus got real. Yeah, <laughs> at least for Americans, for yeah. <laughs> uh, Patches, do we have another question? Uh, we do, we do. This one is from Usama Polani, who was actually responding to me over... Uh, over the weekend while, you know, I was bored and sitting around and, and doing dishes. And so I decided to tweet uh, a hypothetical, which was, where do you, th- where do we think Leonardo DiCaprio would make his first straight to streaming movie? If it would be Netflix or HBO Max or Amazon or Apple. And the reason I tweeted that was because I think if Leonardo DiCaprio actually made a straight to streaming movie, it would, it would feel like the end of something for me um, when we talk about like, where will theatrical go when all this is over or will it yeah. spring back or uh, something about DiCaprio calling it quits or, or breaking because his, his rules over. He what, can what open any movie to 30, he is a star still. Yeah. Right. So if he's a star who makes one of these movies, um, what, what does that mean? And then I guess I started galaxy braining from there wondering if COVID disruption um, prompts studios to only release like Marvel sized giant blockbuster movies in theaters in the future, if they just become like event temples, or if, if the situation will be preventative to make you really want to open these can of worms uh, with two seconds left in this episode. Also, can I pause (laughs) and ask you, did, did anyone mention war machine to you? The movie that Brad Pitt made for Netflix in 2017? No, but I was thinking about that. I mean, yeah. that, that that makes Leo like one of the only people left who hasn't really done this. Yeah, Brad but is Tom, totally cool with this. But Tom Brad, Cruise hasn't, yeah. I don't Tom think. Cruise no, Tom Cruise hasn't. But, you know, I think that the fact that Brad Pitt did it and that movie immediately ceased to exist as soon right. as it came out is sort of the answer to this question in that it, it, it would kind not change of. anything. Well, uh, I, mean, I, should, I should just really say before we, before we dive in here, Osama's actual question was just uh, even broader, which was like whether all of this will, uh, this situation will accelerate the kind of pre-corona trends that we were already seeing um, or, or if a new set of trends will happen. So it's all kind of on the same wavelength. I don't, I don't trust anyone's answer to this question. I, I just don't like, I think it's wishful thinking or, or projecting the future. I just don't think that we have the, uh, the information to, to know right now. There are too many variables. Um, 
I tend to think that uh, that life will revert back for better and often for worse to the way that it was before coronavirus, that we will uh, snap back to the way things were out of desperation for normal. And also we will not learn certain lessons, especially in regards to public health. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just... Uh, it just I don't know. It all feels like Monday morning quarterback backseat driving. I mean, that's where we are. Like the whole world was like that, though, right? I mean, that's why it also feels like it's too. Imagine those answers. Like it's too early to even Monday morning quarterback because we are so in the middle of it that it's hard to know what people are going to want. Right, Monday morning. It's a bad. That's the wrong term because Monday morning quarterback means the event has already happened. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like it feels like so hard to think of what things are going to be like next month and like what kind of thing like i think we have a sense of what kind of entertainment people are looking for like you know if you have like if you're mark ruffalo's i know this much is true on hbo which is like a searing dark family drama where i just say like no absolutely not but there are not two ruffalo's i know but like I, i'll watch the last dance and like revel in some 90s nostalgia like the whole comparison of the 1930s and movie musicals taking off then like that seems like a solid bet to me, but will that take the form of the rom-com coming back or will it just be a bunch of big Marvel-y movies? I don't know. I mean, my answer to this is, is always my same answer, which is that people want to go out. They want to go to the movies. You know, Tim League was saying in some call the other day that uh, you know, movie theaters aren't competing with VOD. Uh, they're competing with restaurants. But it's not and- even so much a question of, 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 like movie theaters being open, right? It's we're reading more and more in these last week or two about just like people need to get productions up. People are going to maybe greenlight more animated stuff because that could be done at home. It will have a, sure. it'll have a shift on the type of entertainment that's coming out. Not, it doesn't really matter like if theaters are open or not, but you see, uh, what's that guy's name who made the war? Mar- he made two Mark Wahlberg movies. He's an Icelandic director, Boris. Uh, I uh, yeah, I know you're talking uh, about. Yeah. The New York times talked to him, oh. uh, in this past week because he has been shooting a movie during these times, um, Iceland is he shooting in Iceland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm... in Iceland in a super controlled way. Like his, he has pods of different crew people wearing different colored bands. And Netflix, he's doing a mini series actually for Netflix. And Netflix is investing tons and tons of money into his production to figure out if like this is how it's all going to to work in these conditions. And that's what I find the most interesting. Not necessarily like what's theatrical like in the future. It's yeah. what will people actually be able to to make, or what will the well, circumstances will you know. Will Leo be forced to make a Netflix movie because they figure it out? And I don't know. It'll be interesting because they're so when life opens up again uh, and people grow increasingly comfortable about going into theaters, there will be content for months upon months upon months to come. We won't see the impact of this stoppage until you know deep into 2021 when people will not be making the connection with the coronavirus so directly. Um, it's interesting. I was also reading, I mean, this is not really uh, on topic, but I was reading about how the video game industry, like it was the guy behind uh, the new Assassin's Creed game, Valhalla, which is coming out this holiday season, was saying like they can complete everything else that they have to do behind this AAA game between now and the holiday season. But uh, if they were starting earlier in the process right now and they had to do all the motion capture work and things like mm-hmm. that, that would really delay the game. And so he thinks that, you know, it's the games that are currently scheduled for 2021 that are going to suffer huge delays and i think the same is true for movies and stuff um i don't know but the answer to the leo question is wherever killers of the flower moon winds up right didn't someone that that at you well i was saying that apple was kind of flirting with buying it and you know obviously i assume netflix Netflix is too Yeah. yeah like presumably 
if it's not if it's having trouble getting a theatrical release now, like it might, it'll probably get some kind of qualifying release, obviously. Wait, but like, wait, wait, wait. This motherfucker question? is doing Killers of the Flower Moon and the Devil in the White City. Devil in the White City. Will that ever happen? No. I mean, one of those should They've happen. They're both for like, like a decade. It's like two of my favorite the true of, crime books. Was in Killers the, like, of the Flower Moon was like ready to go in production. This summer. they had already like planted the fields in yeah. wherever <laughs> where they were. Yeah, Scorsese's on Instagram taking pictures of himself in fields as as far back as last summer. So yeah, that is uh, that movie was definitely definitely on the cusp of shooting if it hadn't started already in some capacity. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. There's a picture on the IMDb page for Killers of the Flower Moon. Is a picture of Scorsese wearing a, like a fedora and a cow pasture. <laughs> it's really yeah. funny. Also, if you don't follow Martin Scorsese on Instagram, <laughs> we're talking about Instagram. That's good Instagram. Him and Our his head. daughter are yeah, high quality. Isn't followers. it all pictures of his dogs? Lots of dog pictures. Well, there is an entire of, account like, called the Scorsese Dogs that is all just his dogs. Yeah, very good. High <laughs> quality Instagram. That's going to be with the hedgehogs on your um, yeah. Instagram recommend. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just I I'm just uh going stir crazy with all the speculation. I would love love There's to be no on the hard other side. Of it. it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um I, I am not particularly bullish about uh any of these July releases actually happening. Tenant? You're telling, you, you're telling Christopher Nolan he can't single handedly reopen. David, movies. you were the one who told me I had to go to theaters to see the Christopher Nolan movie. I mean, maybe you, you will. Uh, maybe that's at the end of August. Maybe it's later. I don't know. Um, it's going to be an adventure. But I, I do think that people are champing at the bit to go to the theater. But uh, people who are sane also want that to be safe. I mean, so. we've heard a lot of talk about the movies that are coming out or will they come out. I feel like I haven't heard a lot of talk from movie theaters being like, here's the safe way you're all going to go see. But it's I, I saw, I'm not I Emmy mean, Warren Bargoed. But I saw the new Judd Apatow movie. I'm watching The Lovebirds right now as we record this. I just put it on pause to record this, which is a Camille Nanjiani and Issa Rae film. And like these are movies that uh, – this is not a critical statement on either film. But uh, these are movies that I really wish could exist in theaters. A Judd Apatow movie, any Judd Apatow movie, just because it's a throwback to sort of the sprawling James L. Brooks kind of thing. where There are adult-facing dramedies that we don't really get to see in theaters anymore. And the Lovebirds is more of a mainstream comedy, but definitely any movie like that is going to lose something watching it at home. Um, and it's a shame. I, I, you know, I think some of these movies that seem like they were less assured of box office success are more obvious picks to go the home streaming route. Uh, but those are the same movies that I think, you know, other than your tenets and whatnot, are going to lose something at home. I, my friend went to a drive-in on Saturday for her birthday, and they're showing um, this movie called The Vast of Night. That's yeah. Coming directly to Amazon this week, I think. Um, and the, the drive-in's like an hour away from here, so it was, it was just not a tenable thing for me to pull off. But it was very tempting. Like, I love a drive-in. I don't Never been think Christopher Nolan is going to release Tenet if only drive-in theaters are open, but I hope that that becomes a sustaining option. At the drive-in, you're listening to the sound on your radio, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think... This one, drive-ins no are really that. fun. I saw Shrek at a drive-in. No one's going to go for that. I know people what? whose car sound oh, systems are much better no, than anything they have no, in their house. No, Nolan is not No, gonna no, no. Patches said no I one's going to go for that. Yeah. yeah. That but, no, we could, we could do a Patreon where we uh, rent a car <laughs> together to so be able to go do a drive-in. <laughs> do they let people just walk in with uh, FM, AM radios and tune in? <laughs> Maybe in, uh, in adjacent to New York City, they will. I was listening to a story about 
a, a girl and her mom, I think it was, who uh, really wanted to go to the McDonald's in their neighborhood, but the, only the driving window is open right now and they don't let people walk up. So they built like a fake car, like a horse costume out of cardboard <laughs> <laughs> and walked up in that. Uh, that's what I would do to see. And I am unashamed about saying this, even though he is IMDb's official director. Uh, I, I would build my cardboard car to go see Tenet if that were my only option. <laughs> How times have changed. Uh, well, people should tweet questions at us, right? Like, we'll continue out. to answer. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, we yeah, want to do a call in show again should, too. But we like, want to do another call in show soon. We are yeah, all tours, like, so we don't really, really need. Okay, so, like, audience priority members. one: leave us a review. If that's not good for you, or if you've already done so, then, or in addition to doing that, you can write us a question. I, we should also point out it's a programming note. And this is very important that if you are listening to this episode on the day that it comes out, it'll be Friday, May. 22nd. Do you know when the podcast comes out? Comes out on Fridays. Uh, then Every week I it? say it's the week of Wednesday. Whatever. Every- <laughs> if you are listening to this on or before May 23rd, uh, we, your Fighting the Worm co-hosts, are going oh, yeah. to be facing off against the lowlifes over at the film stage. What is that? Uh, this for a game of cinephilia. This weekend? Cinephile game. This Saturday at 9 o'clock. Uh, I saw some of the, the blank check game, but I didn't see the end. Does anyone know who won? No, I need to rewatch some of these yeah. games just to brush up my mind. Uh, it's on, for like, it's for charity. You know, I, I don't want to be the Michael Jordan of the cinephile game uh, over here, but I am convinced we are going to get slaughtered. So if you would like to tune in for that, uh, it's, it's going to be nine o'clock and the film stage will tweet about it. We'll tweet about it. Uh, we'll be doing some movie trivia to raise money for a charity of their choosing. It was the art house America fund, um, but that is closed now. So I don't know what it's going to be, but, uh, I have really not thought to be nervous about this. And now I am yeah, I'm so. disappointed I mean, in your lack I'm, of faith, but I'm also blank check, brought in some, <laughs> blank check brought in some heavy hitters. They had Alex Rosberry, David Lowry, uh, we're going to have Josh Trank and um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who it's else? It's not who impossible. Who's, who's a filmmaker who hates you, David? Uh, uh, David, David Iyer. David Iyer doesn't hate <laughs> me, though. I mean, David Iyer might hate me, but he was he was uh, fun and civilized about it. Who's the other guy? Um, Joe Carnahan. He hates me. Okay. Yeah, we'll have him. Yeah. We're going to have Joe Carnahan and Josh Trank. That does it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week. As mentioned, we'll be uh, playing the Cinephile game with the film stage on Saturday night. Uh, in the meantime, you to be, uh, <laughs> in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, Senior Editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. We have a website, FightingInTheWorm.com, where you can listen to the episodes, you can share them with friends, or you can sit on the page and wait patiently until we announce our next call-in episode. I'm not going to tell you when it is. And it's probably the experience with a lot of the, uh, like, sitting and waiting for the call to get picked up. I'm sure it's fun. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I do want to stress that Matt Patches was the one selecting people to be on the call the other day. And so if you have any grievances with us, they are actually just for him. <laughs> I wasn't really, was... like, selecting. I was, uh, no, you were. You were. Um, uh, please... You can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich, uh, on IndieWire. You can find all of us on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Please do. Leave us a review. We'll read it on the show. Uh, Great to hear from you. 
And I'm Dave the Seven. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also listen to my other podcast, The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. Damon Lindelof was on last week talking about season two. We're in season three now, post-hatch. Come check us out. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com. As mentioned, on the Little Gold Men podcast, where we're talking about Cabaret this week. And I also interviewed Nicholas Holt, uh, the star of The Great, who uh, talked to me on Zoom. And it is unfortunate to talk to someone who is really good looking on Zoom, where you can also see yourself. Not recommended. He was great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R. Tweet at us, ask us questions, or answer this week's lightning round question, which was... Because there are no sports, what entertainment has filled the gap? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.